0: We'll open your Bibles to the book of Daniel this morning, Daniel chapter 12. We're going to finish this great book today and say goodbye to Daniel, but, but not as prophecy. Um, because frankly, there is no more practical book for believers in our day. Our day being the, the latter days, which is the period between the first and the second coming of Christ. And so, whether the Lord tarries His coming uh, and it's far off, or... Or if it's very near, the book of Daniel teaches us how to, to live in light of His imminent re- return. Sadly, though, uh, sometimes Christians treat the prophetic books, like the book of Daniel, as, as something to a- avoid. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, someone say, I-, I don't read the book of Daniel, or maybe even more so, I don't read the book of Revelation because it's just too confusing. Like, like it's so advanced that, that only a few can understand. And you have to be careful with that because you can actually deny the inspiration and sufficiency of Scripture by that statement. I mean, God placed it in the Bible for a reason. And as Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And so it's true that those two books, Daniel and Revelation, won't open their door without, without some effort. But if you study them, they will yield nuggets of wisdom that we need to live in a, in a fallen world. You see things like what we're seeing in Afghanistan or what you have experienced over the past two years in, in COVID. The, these are not new events. And neither are the events that, that, are, that are coming, the ones that are coming at, at the end. I mean, Jesus told us these kinds of things have been occurring since the fall. Though, and they'll continue until He returns. They will intensify in force, and duration. The tribulation period will be a period like has like never been before. But the events that happen there, they won't be new. We may struggle to keep our feet under us whenever they come. But we should never struggle as to the question of why they, they, they come or the fact that, that they will. And, and that's where the book of Daniel uh, comes in. I mean, as Christians, we don't ask why. We, we ask other questions like how and, and when and where. How can I be obedient in, in these matters? When will this happen? Where do I trust the Lord in this matter? But, but we already know why these types of things come in our in our lives or in the world. Uh, Romans chapter 5 tells us, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man and sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. When, when sin entered the world, death came with it as well as its evil effects. And it has continued since then. It's, it's compounded since the Garden of Eden. And, and when you ask why, as, as a Christian, now, I don't mean when you get waylaid or sucker punched by, by some event that comes in, in, in your life. You, you may get knocked off, off kilter and, and go through a moment of doubt. I don't mean that. But, but when you decidedly and resolutely ask, why did this happen to me? Or why is this happening to others in the, in the world? What, what's buried beneath the ground of that, of that question is an elevation of man and even a blasphemy against God it, that question is an overestimation of our goodness and an underestimation of the lords i mean isn't it interesting that we rarely think why not me whenever something happens i mean we think why me why my job why my child as if we deserve something better because quite frankly we we do think we deserve better we part of our sin nature. We, we think that we are deserving people, or at least people that don't deserve X, whatever it is coming in our lives, the, the suffering or the sickness or, or, or the death. We, we merit something better in, in our minds. And when we ask why in this way, we're also indicting God his goodness is questioned, His wisdom is suspect, His purposes are doubted, as if we have the ability or the right to evaluate God's plans. And the Bible says the God of the universe always does right. That's exactly what Daniel declares in Daniel 9.14. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all His deeds which we he has done. I mean, God is righteous with respect to all His deeds, Daniel says, uh, even the ones that seem contrary to us. I mean, to say it bluntly, God is good and we are not. That's the reason that you never see Daniel ask why in this book. I mean, did you ever notice that as we went through it, as we've just been just trafficking through 12 chapters? Not one time in 12 chapters did you find Daniel or his friends indicting God or, or implying that they deserve a better outcome. I mean, when they were plucked from their homeland as young boys, they never asked, why did this happen to me? I mean, they're 15 years old. In fact, it wasn't even their fault. If you want to place blame somewhere as far as decisions that they'd made, the leadership of Israel was corrupt. And when they had their names changed and were forced to violate their sincerely held religious beliefs, they they never questioned the Lord or demanded better treatment. They they appealed to their captors and and to to God. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were were thrown into the furnace for refusing to bow, or when Daniel was slandered and betrayed for praying and was cast into the lion's den, they never once said to the Lord, "Uh, uh, When are you going to rescue me? I don't deserve this. Not even when Daniel hears about Israel's future, even about the coming Antichrist, does he ever ask, Where is God or, or, or why? In fact, he does just the opposite. I mean, look through the, the window into Daniel's heart whenever he prays in chapter 9. This is how Daniel views suffering in the, in the world or calamity. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from Your commandments and ordinances, righteousness belongs to You, O Lord. He tells the Lord it's because of his own sin and Israel's transgression that that these things have come, but... Daniel doesn't ask why, because he knew he wasn't entitled to anything from the Lord. But there are two questions that God has no problem answering and Daniel has no problem asking. It's the other question that we all want to know whenever we're going through through difficulty. And it's, how long will this last? And probably a twin to that is, what comes next after the suffering. How long is the suffering going to go on, and, and what comes after the suffering? I mean, that's the question that everyone wants to know when they're in the midst of something. When is COVID going to end? Is that not the question of your heart? And when there is a period of suffering or difficulty, that's the question that comes to our mind. How long will it last, and, and will something good come from it? That's what God answers in the closing verses of the book of Daniel, and He makes a promise as He does. The entire book of Daniel was written to instruct God's people about three themes, and and you remember them. The first half of the book, chapters 1 through 6, we're were taught in the the, the stories, uh, and we learned about how God is sovereign, how He controls kings and kingdoms, and that he'll deliver his faithful ones. And, and in all of those cases, he, he can be trusted. That's why they, they come in the front part of the book. The book is front-loaded with these stories uh, before they ever are, uh, the prophetic signs come. And that was to prepare us for the second half of the book, chapters 7 through 12, where, where God foretells the future of Israel and of the Gentile world. And that future goes all the way up to the very last days on, on the earth when there will be a, a time of tribulation that will end with the Antichrist followed by the second coming of, of Jesus Christ and the, the kingdom of our, our great God. And we're to learn the lessons in the first half of the book so they can be applied in the second half of the book. And we're to take the lessons from, from Scripture where we've seen God intervene and, and deliver previous believers because if He's done that, then He'll do the same thing for believers in the future because God's faithful. He'll, he'll do all that, that He promised. And And so the Lord closes out this book with a promise and He preemptively answers the question that that His people will want to know. As bad as all of this is, as evil as what is coming, how long will it last and will something better come? And God's answer to that is a resounding yes. Yes. The time will be shortened by God Himself, and what follows is a blessed time where believers will rise and, and enter into His rest, and that's what Daniel sees in these closing verses. Now, now we've already seen that this vision covers three chapters. It's, it, it, it's massive, chapters 10 through, through 12. Scene 1 was Daniel's personal preparation. Scene 2 was Daniel's vision of the future, and there were two parts to that, the the immediate future from Darius to Antiochus, and then the far future, which goes to the Antichrist and the second coming of Jesus. And then the third scene, which we'll look at today, was God's final revelation given to Daniel. And the final scene that closes out the book answers two questions. And the first one is found in verse 6. Look at verse 6 of Daniel chapter 12. It's asked by an angel. Verse 6. 6. One said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? The second question is in verse 8. That was asked by Daniel on an angel. He says in verse 8, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And so, following chapter eleven, where the Lord gives Daniel more detail about the troubling future that awaits Israel, He provides a comforting answer, some comforting answers for the prophets about uh, for the prophet about the end of days. And since these are answers to questions, we will call them four encouraging answers about the the end. God tells Daniel and Israel and us, it will be a definite time in verses. 5 through the first part of verse 7. It'll be a devastating time. It's the end of verse 7. It will be a dividing time in verses 8 through 11. And it will be followed by a blessed time in verses 12 through 13. The first encouraging answer about the end is it will be a definite time. Look, if you would, at verse 5. It says, then. I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing on the bank of the river and the other on the other bank of, of the river. So now Daniel sees two angels standing on the opposite banks of the Tigris River that suddenly appear to him. And, and with those words, we're, we're catapulted back to the beginning of chapter 10. You remember this whole chapter starts with Daniel being beside the Tigris River and, and getting this prophecy. And Two chapters ago, Daniel introduces this this vision, but he makes no mention of these two angels in his introduction, which is why he uses the word behold here, meaning that they appeared to him. He doesn't mention those angels, but he does mention a man in linen, the man in linen that you see in verse 6, which he now sees again. Look if you would at verse 6. And the one said to the man dressed in linen... Who is above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? Now this glorious figure is reintroduced. He's either a very powerful angel or he's the pre-incarnate Christ. And, and notice he's mid-air above the waters, signifying his, his authority. Uh, and you have one of the angels to each side of him. And one of those angels, we're not told which one because it doesn't matter, but one of them asks this one, this man in linen, a question. And I think here's proof that angels are not omniscient. He, he wants to know something. He's been listening like Daniel, hearing what's going to happen, and, and an angel asks a question, I mean, just like Ephesians 2, where it says that the angels are curious about understanding the manifold wisdom of God as they look into the church. And the angel asks, how long will this, will this period be that he calls a time of wonder or, or a time of astonishing things? How long will it last? And... The word for wonder, uh, it means the, the troubling times that, that he just got done hearing about. You know they're troubling. I mean They're the they're, they're time of the Antichrist, a time of distress. But I want you to notice the question is not how long before this happens, but how long will it go on once it starts? How long until the end? And these angels had heard the same thing Daniel did and how terrible a time it will be. And, and, and they, and they asked, will it end soon? And they asked the, that to the man in linen. And, and he answers in verse 7. Look at, me look at verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half time. So the figure does something new here. Daniel sees him. He's terrified by his presence before, but but he lifts his hands and he swears. Now if you go in a courtroom or you've probably watched one on TV, hopefully you've watched one on TV and not been there yourself, and they'll tell you to raise your right hand as Repeat after me, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, and you will answer, I, I will, or, or I do. It's called taking an oath. And your right hand is raised as a, as a visible testimony, that you're in agreement with, with what your mouth is saying. You're certifying that what you're about to say is trustworthy and true, and you raise your right hand to do that. And, but notice this angel raises both hands. Not only that, he swears by the one who lives forever. It's the strongest possible way to say, I assure you, this will happen. Uh, And one commentator says that the the two angels may serve as a witness. they are two witnesses to to this angel raising both hands and swearing by by God. Uh, The fact that he raises both hands is evidence that he's not a Baptist angel here because we'd only raise one, right? You almost have a courtroom scene here where, where an oath of truth, uh, two or three witnesses according to the law of God, witness what's happening. and He is swearing by God himself. And this is an angel who's giving God's message. Or it's, it's the pre-incarnate Christ. And, and, and then he gives the answer. Notice his answer. So what I'm about to tell you to, to, to answer your question is unmistakable. It, it will happen. How long will it last? It will be for a time, times, and a a half time, he says. It's a phrase in Hebrew that describes a definite period. It's a way of saying the duration of an era, of three and a half periods. And we're not told here specifically how long those periods are, but but we don't need to to have that info because we've already gotten it in chapter 7. Daniel 9 and chapter 7 tell us that It'll be twelve hundred and sixty days or three and a half years using a 30-day calendar. So these three and a half years is how long it it will last. And, And because it's it's when these wonders or astonishing things will end, this is clearly the second half of the tribulation period. Whenever this time, times and a half time, this three and a half years ends, that that will that will be the end of it. And the God of heaven swears that the horrific reign of the Antichrist will be limited, That's what he's saying here. And this promise can be counted on by the saints who will suffer through it. And they'll want to know that whenever they're in the middle of it. It, it, it will be a definite period of time, which is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, unless those days, the, the days that he's talking about, the days of tribulation, unless those days had been cut short... No life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. How short? Three and a half years, Daniel says. They'll be limited by God for His people's sake. Are you going through something hard right now? There's something that seems like it will never end? Seems to grind on? Take heart. God promises you it will end. Your God is also in control of the clock. He will exalt you in due time, as Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That's what we do. We humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, under his providential working. We we humble ourselves before the Lord and we wait for the Lord to to exalt us. Don't give up. Because it may be darkest just before the, the, the dawn. That's the second encouraging answer about the, the end. It will be a devastating time. Look if you would at how verse 7 ends. The end of verse 7. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, these events will be completed. So this is still part of the answer to the question of, of when will it end. The first part of the answer is it will be shortened by God. Yes, it will be it will be limited. It will be shortened by God to three and a half years. The second part tells us how we'll know when it's over. But he warns us it's going to look like something that it's not right before, right before the events are completed. They'll finish, the, as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people. It, it will look very similar to, to, to the cross. The cross looked like a defeat. And at the very end, it's going to look like God is being defeated. It's going to look like the the people of Israel are, are going to be wiped off the map. But just like the cross looked like, like a defeat, the disciples were scattered and And you have the Messiah being nailed to a Roman cross. That was the greatest victory that there ever was. And and during this period, the angel says, the the power of the holy people, which is Israel, will be completely broken or shattered. The the nation of Israel will be utterly defeated by her enemies. For three and a half years, they'll be maligned and persecuted. And at the very end, they will be totally defeated. And that is what will bring them to to faith in in Christ. That's what Zechariah chapter 12 tells us. All of that brings the the people of God to cry out to Him for help and repent of their sins and receive Jesus as their Messiah. And in that day I will will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that... They will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. They'll believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord will return and rule the earth. And that deliverance is described later in Zechariah. Zechariah 14 verse 11. And since Satan cannot attack God, he turns his wrath on God's chosen people. And, and Daniel kind of gives us the macro here. But, but if you want to zoom in and see, see how this, this happens, what's actually happening in these last three and a half years, uh, bit by bit, you, you can go to Revelation chapter 11 through 13. It kind of zooms in. Revelation 11, the final scene in the, in the drama is set. And John sees... A, future temple there that was rebuilt during the tribulation period spoken of by, by Ezekiel and the, and the two witnesses will, will proclaim God's message until the Antichrist takes his, his place for the second half of the tribulation period and when he does these two witnesses uh, these are, are murdered and the world rejoices but, but that celebration is short-lived. Those, those two witnesses are resurrected before their very eyes They're, they ascend up into heaven and and then God says there'll be no more mercy. And in Revelation 12, John sees a vision of a shining woman and who gives birth to a king. And both of those are pursued by a great dragon. And the woman, John sees, is very clearly the nation of Israel. Israel is called the wife of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah 54 is an example of that. The church is called the bride of Christ in the, in the New Testament. And it's very clear by what John describes in Revelation 12 that, that he's talking about Israel and not the church. Uh, the, the woman has a crown made up of 12 stars. The 12 stars of the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel. And her labor pains come because she's great with child. Uh, a picture of Israel who gave birth to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the dragon that John saw had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns, which is a reference to Daniel chapter seven, verse eight. And and more importantly, those, those heads and horns and crowns are refer to the world's kingdoms, and, and they're they're located on top of the dragon's head. The the neck of of Satan is turning the the world empires. Satan has control over the kingdoms of the earth, both now and, and in the future. God's given him a a measure of dominion in the earth. He's called the prince of of this world. And and in Revelation 12, that dragon stands over this woman to devour the the child. It's a very graphic picture. She's great with child and she's about to go into labor pains and, and the dragon waits. He stands right in front of the woman waiting for her to give birth so he can consume the baby. And Satan's desire to exterminate Israel is... Is because he wants to exterminate the, the line of the, of the Messiah. And he's tried to do that since the beginning. He tried to do that in Egypt and with Pharaoh. He tried to do that through Herod. And, and he's never been successful, but, but Israel has felt the pains of his efforts. And ever since Christ, he still persecutes not only the church, but also Israel. You can think of Hitler and, and, and others. The allusion to, uh, in Revelation 12 is unmistakably the circumstances that surround the birth of, of Jesus Christ. He was born in Bethlehem under Roman rule and he was sought out by Herod to destroy him and he has to flee because Herod gave the order to kill the Hebrew babies uh, under two years of age. I mean, you know the story. Satan is unsuccessful and Christ was, was born. And, and John tells us what this child will do in Revelation chapter 5 once he's born. This child will rule all the nations. The ones that Satan currently has under his feet in fulfillment of what you sing every Christmas for in Isaiah 9. For under us a, a child is born, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. When will that happen? It will happen in the millennial reign of Christ. And John says this child will be king on the earth. He'll rule with a rod of iron, which is a reference to Psalm 2, verse verse 9. But at the end of chapter 12, John sees what will happen with Israel after the child is born and it ascends into heaven. Look at Revelation. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And, And her child was brought up to God and to His throne. There's the ascension of Christ. And... Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days, 1,260 or three and a half years. The woman will be preserved. The woman is Israel who gave birth to to the child and Israel will flee into the wilderness to a place that God has prepared for her. She'll be nourished, meaning she'll be protected for, for this this period of time. And at the midpoint of the tribulation period, the Antichrist will declare himself to be God. He'll require the world to worship him. He'll set up something in the, in the rebuilt temple, an idol, uh, an image of himself. But he'll demand that he be worshipped and, and the Jews will refuse. And at that point, the Antichrist will turn on them and they'll flee. And a remnant will be divinely preserved by God for the remainder of the tribulation period. But the man in linen tells Daniel it will look like they're done for. That's the point of this verse. He says they'll be totally shattered. The temple will be overrun and overtaken. Worship will have ceased. All that will be left is this minimized group in hiding. And the angel tells Daniel this horrible period will end, but it will end with the shattering of God's holy people. That's how you'll know that it's over. The church will be gone, the nation of Israel will be defeated, and and it will look like evil has triumphed. I mean, no wonder Daniel now speaks and asks a question of his own. Here's the third encouraging answer about the end. It will be a divided time. Look at you at verse 8. As for me, I heard, but I could not understand. Uh, This is Daniel talking now. So I said, My Lord... What will the outcome, or what will be the outcome of these events? So the answer to the first question, the period will be limited and we'll know how it will end when, when Israel is, is, seems defeated. And in turn that prompts Daniel's question. Daniel is now the one asking the question, and, and he basically says, um, "I don't understand. Can you give me more? I, I mean, it's like saying, I have so many questions about what you just said. And he asked specifically, what happens next? My Lord, what will the outcome, or what will be the outcome of these events? A question you've probably wondered. What will happen after the suffering? What will happen after the end? And he's probably encouraged that God promises to set a limit. It'll last three and a half years, but he's also probably troubled by how it will end. It ends with Israel being annihilated. And he'll ask for more, and, and God answers him. Look at his answer in, in verse 9. He, that's a man in linen, said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the, the end time. Now, go your way is not a rebuke. He's not like saying, Go away, Daniel. That's not what he's doing here. He he just tells the prophet to, to go on about his life. That's what that's what he means. Go on your way, Daniel. Go on living, Daniel. You shouldn't be concerned about your lack of knowledge. That's the idea here, because the vision is related to the to the far future. It's sealed up until the 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 end time. But he's also assured that this information will be preserved for people who will need it at at the end. Uh, At that point, knowledge concerning the vision will be given to the saints and this will be clear to to believers. So so he repeats what he just said in verse 4 earlier. Look back at verse 4. He summarizes the vision. It's a really long one that goes from 11.2 all the way through twelve. Three, and then in verse 4, he says, But as for you, Daniel, conceal the words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will, will increase. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be an increase in technology. It means the knowledge will, will increase. Your revelation is over, Daniel. You're not going to get any more prophecy. The book of Daniel is closed, but there will be more that will come. Knowledge will increase. What is needed in the end times will come. And so he repeats what he told him in verse 4. The words are shut up and sealed. He told Daniel to seal it up, which means the prophecy is finished. And Daniel wants more information. And God reminds him that, Daniel, your revelation is over, but more will come to future saints. Look at verse 10, how verse 10 ends. Many will be purged and purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, but none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. More Revelation will come. Revelation will continue, Daniel. I'm not saying that this is it. It's just all for you. And God will not leave those living during that time without knowledge. That's what verse 10 means. Those who are wise will, will understand. God will give more revelation and understanding that may be needed to weather those days. And He has, hasn't He? First Thessalonians, Matthew 24, the book of Revelation... And it also says, just as believers will have understanding in those latter days about what's taking place, unbelievers will not. Did you notice that at verse 10? None of the wicked will understand. So don't be surprised whenever you look around and you turn on the news and you go, well, they have no idea what they're talking about. Well, they don't because they're unbelievers. It's exactly what Paul was was saying in 1 Thessalonians 5.4, but the reason he's writing 1 Thessalonians, First, this. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant of the day that it would overtake you. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew 24. You may not know, you're not going to know the exact day, but you can discern the times so it doesn't overtake you. It's going to overtake unbelievers, but it shouldn't overtake God's people because we have revelation. Stephen Miller says that as the end approaches, the messages of Daniel and the other prophecies of the the last days will become increasingly clearer to believers. And verse 10 says, Whatever information they all have, this period will be purposeful. Look at verse 10 again. Here's the division. It'll be a dividing time. Many will be purged and purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. He doesn't leave Daniel comfortless. He reminds him that the outcome is secure, both for believers and unbelievers. You don't get any more revelation about the prophecies. But here's what you can take comfort in, Daniel. There will be a dividing time and there will be a dual result. The result will be true believers will be purified and unbelievers, their true character will be confirmed. He's saying the pressure in the tribulation will bring out what, what's in the hearts of men. As they enter the, the crucible of life, the longer that somebody goes through, through life, it, it exposes, the pressures, the suffering expose, and, and the, the end times will, will do that like, like no other. And, and what comes out under pressure is one of the ways that you can tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. I mean, you can hide a lot of things. Whenever the guy cuts you off on the way to church and what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. And I don't mean by that that, that whenever you, you curse that person that you're an unbeliever because you're in the flesh and you sin. But consistent heart responses reveal a problem. And he says, first, many will be purified and made spotless and refined. The tribulation, this, this intense pressure will prepare Israel for the Messiah and many will come to saving faith. Believers will respond to the end days by turning to God and, and persevering. But there's also a contrast. It says, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. Believers respond to har- uh, Unbelievers, I should say, respond to hardship with more wickedness and blasphemy. There's a lot of shocking verses in Revelation, but there are two that that are just mind-boggling. Revelation 9.20 and Revelation 16, they both basically say the same thing. Two different times during the, the wrath being poured out. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given... To it, to scorch men with fire, men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give Him glory. And when people are undergoing the wrath of God, they still refuse to repent. And that's partly its purpose Part of the purpose of God's wrath and His judgment is to confirm what people truly are in heart. And in Revelation, when all of the the, the wrath of the Lamb is coming down on the earth, they're not going to say, oh, wow, God's the one doing this. And and, and I've been an idiot and I need need to, to seek His forgiveness and I need to repent. That's not what they're going to do. They're going to shake their fists. They're going to know it's from God, this verse says, and they're still going to refuse to repent and give him glory. They're going to be like the the rich man in Luke 16, the rich man in Lazarus. You remember that story? When the rich man, even in hell, he accuses God that his word is insufficient. You remember what he says uh, after, send Lazarus to cool my tongue because I'm tortured in this flame. He, He says, I can't do that. He says, well then, well then send him back to warn my brothers not to come here. And and he says, Abraham says, he has Moses and the prophets, meaning as the Bible is, God's already provided everything that your brothers need not to come to this place. And you remember what the rich man says? Nay, Father Abraham, no, it's not enough. Any miracles or signs. You, you haven't warned them enough. And you remember the answer. Not even if man, if one rises from the dead will they believe. If they'll not believe the Bible, they're not going to believe miracles. And if they'll not believe the gospel when it's proclaimed to them, they're, they're not going to turn to God in the midst of wrath or, or suffering or, or tribulation. Don't think that, that when somebody falls under difficulty that that's going to, to turn them toward the Lord. Sometimes the Lord uses that to bring them to an end of themselves, but... But apart from the work of the Spirit, those who are wicked, even under judgment, will will be wicked still. There is surely nothing post-millennial in this passage, uh, my brothers and sisters who may be of that persuasion. I mean, you read this. uh, This is not a post-millennial passage. The world is not going to get better because the gospel spreads and brings the the kingdom of God to the earth. I mean... uh, or on the earth. According to Daniel, wickedness will increase in the, the last days, not decrease. And during the dividing time, it will be very clear who's following God and who is not. The sheep and the goats will be abundantly clear. And one will act wise and one will act wickedly. And, and you can see that even now starting to form. I mean, one of the blessings that's happening in our nation right now is is it's becoming clear and clear who's in the faith and, and who's not after decades and decades of blurred lines. I mean, the Church of Jesus Christ is not a jar of marshmallow fluff that's gooey sweet that has no shape or form except for the container that it's in. And you just dump it out and it's just a, just a blob. Or like tepid dishwater, milky from the dirty plates from last night's dinner. I mean, Paul says the church is like a pillared stone column that, that holds up the truth. It's a stulos. It's a, a column or a prop, a, something that stiffens and stabilizes. It's a, it's a foundation that the entire building rests upon. I mean, Can you imagine putting the weight of truth on the average evangelical church in America? And sadly, in a lot of places you can't. That's why they capitulate on... On the pressures that, that, that come, it just doesn't hold it up. It, it, it is like a marshmallow fluff. You put the truth on it, it just, just squishes beneath its weight because they haven't been strengthened by the truth to begin with. And the church is also to be pure be ye holy, for I am holy. Come out from among them, says, says the Lord. I mean, can you imagine the average church being tested for purity? Measure the leaven in here. Would there be any flour at all or would it all be yeast? And that strength and that, that purity is needed right now and it will be needed for Israel whenever, whenever this time comes because of what's, what's coming. Look, if you would, at verse 11. It says, for the, for the time that the, the regular sacrifice is abolished or from the time... And the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. So, so Daniel does get one reminder here in verse 11. He's told when this time of distress or great tribulation will begin. It's already told when it's going to be over, when Israel is going to be shattered. It's already been told that it's going to be limited by God to three and a half years. And now he's been told when it's going to start. Not new revelation. He's already received that back in chapter 9. But he tells Daniel here it will begin when the abomination of desolation is set up in the Jerusalem temple. Daniel 9.27. And he'll make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of the abominations will come one who makes desolate. Antiochus was a foreshadowing of that in Daniel 11 where where he set up a, a... a representation of Zeus in the Jewish temple. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 24. You've already seen that in Matthew 24 before. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, and, and now he puts a specific number of days on. He says 1290 days, not a time, times, and a half time. That's what he says in verse 11. Uh, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished to, to this abomination, there there will be 1,290 days. Did you notice the number's different? We were told 1,260, and, and now we're told 1,290. And one of the questions that that's logical to ask is, why 30 more days in, in verse 11? And there's all kinds of theories. Uh, Archer said that the three and a half years was an approximate number, and the 1,290 days is more exact. Remember, 1,260 is... 30 days average. So 1290 is the more exact figure. It will be 1290 days from the, from the, the desolation until the end. It's probably the likely interpretation. Uh, another proposes that the extra days are needed for the, the Lord to judge the nations at, at, at his return. And, and frankly, the answer is uh, we don't know. But what we do know is the three and a half years. Is not a random period of time. Do you remember how long the, the Lord's ministry on the earth was? I mean, He was on the earth; He was doing stuff. But you don't hear anything after He's twelve or so. He's in the temple, and then He appears and He steps forward in the baptism, and, and His ministry lasted three and a half years. And so Satan's false Christ will will minister His evil for that same period of time. And and during that time, God's people will be delivered and God's enemies will be destroyed. The fourth encouraging answer about the the end is what comes after that is a blessed time. Look if you would at verse 12 of Daniel. It says, how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,000 335 days. And now he adds another period of time. If 30 days wasn't curious enough, verse 12 gives another number, another 45 days. And again, there's several theories, but, but not a definite answer. One, one commentator said it, it may be uh, it, that's the time it takes to set up the, the millennial kingdom. What happens during these 45 days, we can't be sure, but we can be sure of what happens at the, the end of it because there's a promise about those who endure this time will, will experience great joy. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and, and attains to the end. Uh, endures, perseveres. That person will be blessed. Why will they be blessed? Because what's coming after the, these things 1,335 days. What's coming after this three and a half year period is the millennial reign of Christ. No wonder there's joy for those who come to an end of it. And we know that even after that there's even greater joy. Revelation twenty two fourteen. blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. There'll be joy entering into the millennial kingdom and there'll be even greater joy entering into the new heavens and the And the new earth. It's going to be hard, but at the end waits joy. Because at the end, God will be with His people. Look at verse 13. He brings it back to Daniel. Daniel's not going to keep waiting and attain to the end of these days. Notice the contrast. But as for you, Daniel, you're not going to go through that, but... But as for you, go your way to the end, and then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. So again, God tells Daniel, all of the revelations that you're going to get have ended. Daniel's an old man. He's going to receive no more. He needs no more. But what he does receive is a comforting promise. Daniel will go his way to to the end, meaning he's going to die. going to die, Daniel. And after that, you're going to enter into God's rest. And then you're going to rise at the end of days, meaning resurrected, and you'll receive your inheritance. That's what he's saying to Daniel. And that's God's basic message to us in light of all that's coming. What do you do with the book of Daniel? What, What do you do with this prophecy or revelation or or 1 Thessalonians. Daniel, just as God told Daniel, there's no more revelation coming, God says to us, there's no more revelation needed. You don't need dreams and visions about any number of things. You've got the Bible. You don't need any more revelation. No more is needed for you to be faithful now or be faithful in the future We have all we need to live for Him no matter what comes. And just as God told Daniel to go your way, God says to us, even though we know this this day is coming, we should go on about our lives without being concerned about what we don't know. Because this could be tomorrow, it could be far off, and we have everything that we need. we don't go out in the middle of a field and put on white robes and wait on Jesus to come because somebody worked out some mathematical equation in, in the Bible. What do you do knowing that, that this is coming? You, you live. You gather. You, you, you're encouraged and you're strengthened by the revelation and, and you know that this is all you need and then you go out and live your life. You get up tomorrow morning and you go to work and, and, and you, you be a witness about these things that are coming. And we can do that because we know for certain that the righteous will be purified and delivered into the kingdom, or the righteous will be, pur- will be purified and delivered through the resurrection. That's why we have no reason to fear, whatever it, it might be. If you live to the end of your life, and, and then you die, you're going to be resurrected, or, and you enter the kingdom, and You die because of persecution or whatever it might be. You're going to also be delivered into the kingdom through the resurrection. Either way, God will not forsake you as his people. But the wicked will remain wicked. And they will be delivered to judgment and everlasting destruction. And that's exactly what you were before God invaded your life through Jesus Christ. You were wicked and you were doing wickedness. You lived in that under the prince of the power of the air. That's what Ephesians 2 said. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And it describes why you did what you, what you did. And then there's wonderful words. But God, being rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us. He invaded your life. Not because you're a good person or because you deserved it or because you merited it in some way, you just exactly the opposite. He came to you in Jesus Christ and made the way, and then He came to you again through His Spirit and and through the gospel, and, and He gave you ears to hear and eyes to see and repentance and faith, and you came to Him, and now you feed on this Word, and you believe every word of it, and you live your life for Him. And that's the book of Daniel. God is sovereign. He sets up kings and He takes them down and He will deliver His faithful ones. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I don't understand, or you're here this morning and you you know what's being said is true, but you're outside of Christ, today is the day of salvation. It doesn't mean this specific day, although it could be for you. It means this day, this period of time between the first and second coming of Christ, there's nothing else that needs to be done. Everything has been accomplished by God. What you do is you repent and you believe and you bow the knee and you acknowledge He's both Lord and He's Christ. And you say, I can't get there any other way. And through Him He forgives your sins and gives you a home in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the book of Daniel, the truth that you've shared with us this morning. We sang a song, um, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. And My heart just echoes the, the part of that song. I, I don't understand how I have... I'm able to enjoy the feast when I look at myself and it's only because of your grace. When thousands made a wretched choice and they'd rather starve than come, I pray that wouldn't be the case for anybody here this morning. See the feast before them in in Jesus Christ and what he's done and accomplished and that they would would bow before him and acknowledge him as, as Lord and their Savior. Help us, Father, not to be marshmallow fluff, help us to be strengthened by by the word, not dirty dishwater, but pure and clean that that we might be used by you even in these latter days. We look forward to your soon return. We say, even so, come Lord Jesus, come for your church. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.